I'm here with Nina. Um, I met Nina at a party two days ago in Berkeley, and we were talking about deception. And she gave me the best explanation for deception I've ever heard. Uh, I tried to talk about deception in this podcast uh, twice before, and I never released the podcast because it was too bad. And I hope this one is, is, is a good one. Uh, so it's a lot of pressure for you, but... <laughs> yeah, lots of pressure. But I'll try to be as deceptive as possible. <laughs> so outside of like this party uh, where I met you, What's your like background? How did you end up in, in Berkeley at, at this time? Um, yeah, so about a year and a half ago, I was in Berkeley doing MLab, which is like a um, machine learning for alignment bootcamp, basically a um, one month course for people with some experience in like software engineering or programming to learn more about ML and how this can be applied to do AI safety research. Um, and this was my first introduction to the AI safety community I met a bunch of people working on trying to make AI go well. And this um, piqued my interest. Before this, I hadn't really um, engaged much with like AI safety. I'd heard about it, which is what inspired me to like apply to this course, um, but hadn't like thought about the um, possible risks from AI systems that much. Um, and over the course of this month, speaking to a bunch of people, um, I heard a bunch of different perspectives and generally um, bought into the idea that um, risk from AI is something that we should be caring about and working on, um, irrespective of like whether you think it's like extremely likely that there'll be AI doom or like not so likely. In any case, I think it's like um, there are there are sensible arguments to believe there's high enough likelihood that this is a problem that people should be working on. Um, so yeah, this was my initial introduction. Then I spent a year working as a software engineer, um, and then yeah, towards the um, end of like May or something, I uh, decided to see whether I can pivot my career back into more of like a, a direction that aligned with things that I actually care about. And so applied to Serimats, which is a um, research fellowship in Berkeley. And this is where I am now doing Serimats, um, mentored by Evan, uh, doing, yeah, working on ways to uh, reduce the risk of deceptive AI, I guess. And how did you like end up like applying for MLab? Um, so I just heard about it at university. I was part of a EA group with a few other people in like working on um, AI safety at Imperial at the time. And so they shared the uh, MLab application with me. It looked interesting, so I applied. What's EA? Uh, effective altruism. <laughs> and yeah, how, how did you end up in this effective altruism group in, in Imperial? Uh, a friend recommended uh, that I listen to the 80,000 Hours podcast, so I listened to it a few episodes. Sounded interesting. And and, and, and now you're on a podcast. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, did, you, did you hear some episodes about AI, or was, was it like about something else? Uh, yeah, I listened to a couple of episodes about AI, so this was probably the first time I heard about AI safety but it didn't really stick in my head that much. But then when I went met some PhD students working on AI safety at Imperial, this was my kind of first more serious introduction to people actually doing work uh, in this field. Um, so yeah, right now, so you're in Berkeley and uh, you're doing what you call Serimath. Can you explain what is Serimath for people who have never heard of it? Uh, yeah, it stands for Stanford Existential Risk Initiative. Uh, machine learning alignment theory scholars. <laughs> um, but a, very, a, very... a more concise description would be it's a research fellowship for people with some background in research and machine learning 
to spend some set period of time doing AI safety research while being mentored by people who do this professionally. So both developing research skills and hopefully making some progress on an important problem. So I believe at Serimouts, you like work with a, a mentor that like um, mentors. <laughs> I believe at Serimouts, like you work with a, a mentor that like supervises your work. So who are you working with? Um, Evan Hubinger. He works at Anthropic. Um, previously was at Mary. And I think he's like famous for uh, having introduced the concept of inner alignment and outer alignment and yep. these optimizers. Yep. Is this something you're currently working on as well? Um, I'm not currently working directly on um, inner and outer alignment, but on the kind of related concept of how do we um, steer the way models generalize from their training um, data, uh, which is very closely related to the idea of MES optimization. Um, but yeah, I can briefly like go into MES optimizers and what this means or deceptive AI. Sure. What's a MES optimizer? Um, so the MES optimizer is like a objective that a model learns that is not the same objective as what you're trying to get it to learn with the like training process. So if you think about it, when you train a machine learning model, you have some kind of training objective that you're trying to get it to learn and you have some limited training set. And in theory, if you were able to test the machine learning model on every single possible input, you could be 100% certain that it's learned the exact function you want it to learn. It's behaving exactly how you want it to behave or it has the objective you want it to have. But this is not in fact the case. You have some limited training set that you are um, using to train the model and you're giving it some signal in the form of does the model like um, give the correct output for this or um, another input. And there is a whole family of functions that the model could be implementing that does well on this training set. Um, and another property of the whole family of functions that this model could be implementing is that all of them are doing well on a training set, which means they probably have some generic properties that help um, AIs do well in on a training goal. Um, so the claim made in Evan's paper, Risks from Learned Optimization, is that when you're optimizing some model, um, it starts to be more and more similar to some kind of optimizer or goal-directed agent um, because being an optimizer or some kind of goal-directed agent just helps you do well on a whole bunch of different tasks. So if we think about this, we're training an ML model. It could be doing a whole bunch of things because we haven't tested it on every single possible input. All we know is that it does well on the training task. And we also know that it may be developing some kind of goal-directed optim optimizer-y type behavior. Um, and so out of this family of possible functions the model could be implementing, some of them are optimizing for not the exact thing that you want them to be optimizing for, and we call those meso optimizers. So their inner objective or the thing that they're like actually modeling as the goal is not what we want them to be modeling as the goal or not what we intend for the goal to be given the training setup, but is something else that is just correlated with the goal we want it to be in the training process. I, I think from what you said, there's like a lot of, of concepts that are kind of um, like poorly or difficult to define. Yeah. Like, like agents goals or like optimization yeah um i think i think maybe the, the, the central concept is maybe like goal like how do you define goals in, in in this particular uh setup right um so the question of whether or not a um model under a lot of optimization pressure will always converge to a goal directed agent is a separate question but if we think about like what is a goal 
in a AI or some kind of ML model be some kind of um, state of the world that the um, model is like consistently trying to steer the world towards. Uh, so it's trying to uh, give outputs or perform whatever calculations that it predicts will steer the um, world state towards a particular intended state that it wants the world to be in. Um, so to give a kind of more, I don't know, um, some kind of analogy for this, for example, for like goals and mesa optimization, we could think of uh, we're training a student to pass an exam. And we could train a student on a bunch of example questions. And we want to, ideally, we want the student to like learn the subject. For example, we want this person to be, um, we want this person to understand physics, for example. And so we give, a, give them a bunch of questions about physics and then we plan to give them an ex exam about physics. And the student takes an approach of just memorizing the answers or memorizing some basic heuristics about how to answer the questions just from like having tried a bunch of them that is not exactly the same as actually understanding the um, understanding physics. And so we think the goal that we're like getting the, getting the, um, the process to achieve is understanding physics. But in fact, the thing being trained figures out that another way of ticking the boxes is just memorizing a bunch of heuristics or memorizing the answer to a bunch of questions. And so it's just doing this and it thinks this is what it should be doing. And it's steering the world in, an, in, in the direction of doing well, um, doing well via memorization, for example. So the, the, the sub goal would be like, um, passing exams or would be like memorizing uh, exam answers? It could be either. So there are often multiple um, multiple possible MESA objectives that could arise from a training process that are not the same as the, the outer objective you're trying to actually get the model to learn. Um, and this is one of the kind of interesting questions is how do we know how a model will generalize and how do we make it less likely that it ends up generalizing some kind of unintent, um, unwanted goal? So I, I feel for like the like specific example you gave, it's, it's maybe closer to something like specific specification gaming or uh, good hearting, where you're like, um, you know, it's, it's not the, the 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 thing you actually want, and it's like like probably like the you you can like maximize something by maximizing something else that is a kind of close. So I would say that specification gaming or good hearting in the original definition of mesa optimization is um could be an instance of mesa optimization in the case when the model is like a goal-directed agent or um can be modeled as a goal-directed agent. So I guess there are maybe some I can imagine some kinds of speci specification gaming where the um, final system is not behaving in any way like a goal-directed agent. Um, actually, can I imagine this? I mean, yeah, I guess I can. And in those cases, we would probably not call it meso optimization by the like um, uh, original definition. But in the case where we have good hearting plus some system that looks like an optimizer, I would call this um, meso optimization. And by by optimizer, you mean some process that like consistently tries to steer the world into some uh, state that it wants it to be in. Uh, I mean, some caveat here is like defining what is an optimizer, what is an agent, what is a goal, is some kind of its own research direction and agent foundations that um, some people believe if we understand these concepts better, it will help us solve more problems related to 
where we can kind of intuitively describe, like I can tell you some kind of story that seems kind of intuitive about agents and, and optimizers. But one of the reasons why I struggle to give you some kind of mathematical equation is because this is not like a well-defined um, well defined formula or something at the moment. It's more of a, a model or a way of looking at the behavior of a model. Um, at least the way I find it useful to think about optimizers is more of um, from like a behavioralist standpoint. So if a, um, if a system can behave like an optimizer in certain situations, it's useful to model it as an optimizer, even if it's not representing, you know, in an exact mathematical, in an exact mathematical way, a optimization process in the like traditional definition of optimization. So as long as you see like objects moving in the world and like some stuff being transformed by AI, you can see like the, there's a goal that is being pursued because like it's, it's like actually like um, shifting objects and and, 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 and and like achieving something in the, in the real world. So we don't really care about like whether it's like actually performing some kind of like gradient descent. Yes, it can be a useful frame. I mean, another example is I, um, I think the framing, the simulators framing for, for example, predictive models, where we say predictive models can simulate various different kinds of agents is a useful framing. And in this framing, you can say a predictive model can simulate a goal-directed agent um, because it's been trained to be really good at some kind of prediction task. In the case of language models, this is a very obvious prediction task, like predict the next token or the next word. And then um, given some form of input or conditioning, it can be trained to, or it can be like steered towards simulating a goal-directed agent. And I claim that simulating a goal-directed agent and being a goal-directed agent carries a lot of the same properties and risks and benefits. Um, and maybe this is something that's easier to imagine with current systems. So yeah, you mentioned simulators. So you could like Im imagine that um, every time you prompt um, a model and asking like to simulate what Nina would say, it, it like during the inference like become an agent somehow or just like simulate the agent and like try to output what the agent would say or would do? Yeah, so if you have a system that you consistently prompt to behave like an agent, then this is basically like having an agent. If, if you want to be like even more concrete um, in terms of like misoptimization, um, and we have like, let's say a, a giant neural network like we have today, mm -hmm. um, could we like observe this like sub goal inside the weights? Like, is there like a way where we could like see like some part of the net network like doing something or like having some, some goal? Um, so determining what part of a model is responsible for its goal, even if we, even if we allow, I mean, current systems are obviously not sufficiently optimized to the extent, well, okay, if we take like small RL models, for example, so not like large language models, which are way harder to interpret and have not been optimized to the extent that they have a single goal or not have, have not been trained in a way that they have a single goal because they're more predictor type models. But if we take RL agents, for example, I think there has been already quite successful experiments to try and identify um, parts of the um, RL model that are responsible for representing its goal. It's imperfect, but for instance, Alex Turner has some research on training a maze solving agent and then manipulating some of its internals such that it pursues a slightly different goal from its from what it would be pursuing by default. Um, so this kind of research is somewhat promising. I think when we think about predictor models, so when we talk about models that can simulate different kinds of agents, it's way harder to find a single, um, you know, 
part of the model that is responsible for representing all of its goals. Um, but something I am interested in doing, and in fact, I'm working on at the moment, is figuring out um, which parts of a predictor model um, are responsible for steering its goal-directed behavior in different ways. So for instance, we can say, when we ask for a model to simulate this kind of, um, this kind of agent, uh, what, what activations are responsible for representing this, the behavior that is associated or the, um, the goals that are associated with this type of agent. What kind of like model are you, are you currently trying this on? Um, I'm currently experimenting with Llama 7B, um, 7 billion parameter language model. This is just kind of arbitrary. Um, I think with this kind of experiments, it's usually more interesting to test on larger models because they otherwise you have some confounders from the model just being too bad to at the task of testing it with. And this just adds noise. So ideally you usually want to run these kind of like more behavioral experiments on larger models. But then you have a trade-off where if you want to be able to look inside of the internals of the model, the the larger the model, the more kind of unwieldy the whole um, the whole process is because uh, it's more resource in, resource intensive. Uh, so there's some kind of trade-off there. And ideally, like if your research uh, was to succeed, what what would be like the kind of like results you would observe? Um, the kind of like thing the the language model would say, or um, for, so for this particular research direction, if it was to succeed, it would look something like we can identify ways of steering a model via changing its activations in a direction that we want it to go to make it um, behave in a better way. So for instance, if we find a way of um, steering models towards simulating more honest agents, this would be very good. So if we find a way to manipulate the activations such that the goal, the um, model is implementing in practice, um, looks more like honestly reporting beliefs and less like um, being convincing uh, and dishonest or I don't know, doing pursuing some other kind of agenda, this would be generally good. But to be fair, I think this kind of category of approach is a little speculative. It's quite likely that this particular method of just manipulating activations to try and achieve a particular goal will not scale that well. But it seems like something interesting to investigate. And if it was to be helpful, it could also be helpful with things like making smaller models safer, um, even in cases when alignment or AI safety research agendas will not ultimately scale to super intelligence, I think they can be so useful to work on, um, given that making current systems safer is still a useful thing to do, especially if we're planning to use current systems to help us with research to align more advanced systems. So you're saying that like, even if it's like speculative that we can um, make them more honest, it's, it is still good to um, you know w work on this because we might use those models to build like other models that may be like, more powerful and more dangerous. Yeah. Um, I think increasingly people are using AI tools as research assistants and making AI research assistants easier to steer, um, more honest, um, by honest, I mean like reporting whatever their internal beliefs are as opposed to optimizing for something like agreeing with the user, um, which is something that's quite common, um, a common failure mode. Um, and I kind of like it when Claude or GPT-4 agree with what I'm saying, um, but uh, I can see why it will be bad. Yeah. Uh, one previous guest I had on the podcast was uh, Colin Burns back in January. Mm -hmm. 
And we talk about this paper, like discovering latent knowledge in neural networks, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think like in, in this podcast episode, we talk about like how you could look at, um, I think, it, I don't know if it's the activations uh, or just like some, one part of the of the network, like the hidden layers at, at, uh, at some place. And you yeah. could like train another classifier to see like if, if those like layers were um, having some like deceptive, um, no, I think like ideally, ideally you would like detect deception, but you could just like s see if, if the model thought, um, if the model was saying something um, true or not, because like you, you, you could use like, like negation yeah. and see like with like logic, wh whether like the, some of part of the, um, yeah. of the ways would like say something true or not. Uh, so yeah, I think that's what I thought of, of when you said like, yeah. um, seeing if the model is um, s saying the same thing as what is represented in the weights. Right, yeah, um, um, yeah. This is basically something very related, a technique that I'd um, basically the same thing or something that I want to extend towards, not just training on one particular, um, trying to like classify one particular thing. So honesty versus dishonesty, but more find a generic technique for representing different uh, properties of simulated agents and finding ways to augment a model to be more similar to one of these different uh, possible simulated agents. And one direction in which you could go in this space of possible simulated agents is a direction of increased honesty. So you're specifically focused on on simulated agents. You're you're, you're really trying to like prompt as like, oh, you you're being Michael Trazzi and and you're you're doing a podcast. Um, say something that is in your uh, in your room and and trying to like see what the language model is saying. Um, yeah, I mean, simulated agents is a bit of an abstraction here. I guess every time you like give a different input to a predictor model, it's predicting. Um, well, for a raw predictor model, it's just like predicting what would be the continuation of this input. And so in this sense, it's like simulating a, um, simulating a like reality of continuation of this input. Um, so and, yeah. as long, as long as, um, you, you give it an input, it doesn't need to be like a specific person. It could be just like, um, like a, a group of people and it will still like simulate um, like the average of those like eight people, what, what, what would it yeah, do? Yeah, that could be the case. I think to find like interesting directions in the um, model weights that, are represent, that represent different forms of behavior, it's interesting to test on like prompting models to simulate certain kinds of agents. But this doesn't mean that like viewing um, language models as agent simulators is the, you know, objectively correct frame. It's just a useful frame to try and extract certain useful behaviors. Um, yeah, so um, I, I think when we were at the, at the party in Berkeley, yeah. you, were, you were talking about deception in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. Is there like any any other way of like defining deception that is not like saying something that is not exactly what we mean or? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess there are like broadly two kinds of deception. When I was talking about like honesty, this is not necessarily directly related to like um, AI deception and more just like research that interests me at the moment. But yeah, there are broadly like two forms of deception. One would be like what we kind of mean when we say a human is deceiving us. So more similar to this honesty case where a model is trying to like make you believe something it knows is false. The other form is the model seems um, good and doing what we want it to do in training and then doesn't do what we want it to do in deployment. Um, the most general form of this won't necessarily be called deception because this could just be, as you mentioned, like some form of like goal misspecification. But um, in the case of 
if the model is able to somehow have some internal representation of whether or not it's in training or deployment, this could start looking more like explicit deception. That is, if a model is representing some kind of um, function that looks like if in training do X, if in deployment do Y, this starts to look quite deceptive, where deceptive is kind of like a, a descriptive word here, where we've described this behavior as deceptive. So it would kind of like need to know that like he's a language model, he's like a model being trained, and right now he's like in training mode, and like he, so it, it would require like some kind of like situational awareness and like the awareness of being in, that, in the training process. Um, yeah, by some people's definition of deceptive AI, it is a prerequisite for the model to be able to like understand that it's in a training process and that it's an AI or something like this. I personally think this is like a, a less of a binary question than um, some people might see it as. Again, this is like definitions, so I don't want to like speak on behalf of everyone who writes or thinks about deceptive AI, but I think there are like various scales of this form of behavior. So one of them is just like you're training a model um, on some training task, and in order for the model to be good at that training task, it needs to learn some generically useful things. Sometimes it's a user called convergent instrumental subgoals, but just um, some like generalizable um, intelligence things, like how to um, you know how to just generally problem solve. And this can um, both result in good and bad behavior, right? A model that's like really good at a prediction task can predict the continuation of some like really bad story just as well it can predict the continuation of a really good story it can predict a really evil agent just as well it can kind of predict like a really good agent and so how do we solve this problem in general people just try and use human feedback or some kind of labeled data or some kind of specific training signal to steer the model in the direction of like do good stuff don't do bad stuff um, but where do we get the signal from well we get this from like a distribution of data from the current time we we generate some data from humans that is that is like some some limited distribution of of like good bad signals to try and steer the model, and this is a bit like taking a like generally intelligent agent and just like hitting it on the head a bit from different directions, being like, wait, don't do this. Oh, also just don't do this. Um, and it's quite plausible to me that models trained in this way kind of learn something like, well, the generically good strategy is to do X, Y, and Z, but in these like small cases or in this like small distribution of data that I've seen. I should not do like these particular things because they seem bad. And then you deploy the model. And because the it's over the time that it's in training, it starts to see more diverse data. It sees data that it hasn't seen before. It realizes that perhaps the heuristics or whatever like um, edge cases it was taught about in training no longer apply. And we get left with a system that's just doing its like generically robust type behaviors like seeking power, general problem solving, um, just like relentlessly pursuing some one goal that it learned that was correlated with whatever did well in training and discounts any of the constraints that it was previously taught because those constraints were like overfitted to the original training environment. I, th I think in what you're saying, there's like a sense of the agent is like doing this uh, on purpose. Like he's like kind of like seeing that he's like in the training process and like discards some, some stuff because he sees that it's like it will perform bad. If, if, if we don't have this like intention it seems that it can just be like labeled as like goal misgeneralization. I don't know if you've seen this paper um, uh, where they tried it on CoinRun and like in, in, in the training distribution is like a platform game where it, like it learns to like reach the end of the, the platform and like get the coin. And when it, um, they change the environment and like at, at test time, they don't have like a coin um, 
at the end. And I think it still like goes for the coin and not the end or something, not the end of the of the, uh, um, of the game. So I, I think. Well, I think in some cases of goal misgenerization, it's just learnt a goal that um, performs well and um, performs well in the training set, but then just like doesn't do what you want in in deployment. And what I'm talking about is something different, which is when it has some kind of latent variables that are like directly correlated with are you in training and are you not in training. Right, so um, it, yeah. it needs to like know where it's in, it's in training from like some variables. Yes, and but whether or not this is the same as like situational awareness, I think is a sliding scale. Because for example, realizing that you're an AI and you're in a training loop and then realizing you're not in a training loop is one way of distinguishing training from deployment. Another way could just be like, oh, I'm currently observing a bunch of text with like the, the dates of 2023 and b- before 2023. Oh, now I can see the date 2025, it's different. Um, so this could be another another way of distinguishing training and deployment. Another way could be like, oh, this like large prime number has not yet been factorized um, in any of my uh, training data. Oh, now it has. This is like a different situation. So just to give to go back to the uh, date, um, assuming like all the data is from twenty twenty one, as as for the like OpenAI models, um, it would like see that you know its data is like limited to twenty twenty one, right? And and it would think like. Oh, let's try to have, um, or, or just like the training process would push him towards being good at predicting data uh, from his current date, and and somehow we could like like make the hypothesis that there's like a some 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 like set of weights that track whether like the text uh, that is as, as as input is from like a particular like year or like month, and. And then it would like try to like predict something differently, and like if if it's something like outside of this current date, it would like pre- like output something different. Or um, I think this is not exactly what I'm describing. So imagine you're training a model on a bunch of data leading up to 2021, for example, and it learns some like generically useful stuff, like how to be good at predicting. But then you also RLHF or like supervise fine tune it on a bunch of human feedback data about how to be good at predicting, but also don't say like offensive stuff don't keep don't give people like instructions of how to build a bomb things like this um and all of this fine-tuning data comes from a particular um set that is also has the property of only being drawn from 2021 and before now this data will be correlated in various ways one of which will be it won't be referencing future dates but it will be correlated in some other ways there will just be like it, it won't represent the the full kind of distribution of possible future um bad inputs and so the the thing that the model learns from the like base training objective is um more robust or like a stronger goal um and then the the kind of small amount of signal that you're passing to it from the human feedback is more um is is more likely to be over overfitted to and so even though both of these things come from a distribution of like from a limited distribution of the past i think it's somewhat likely that when this model gets deployed, um, its its kind of main objective of just being good at predicting, for instance, continues to work. And so we can see this in practice, like models trained on like the internet are pretty good at like predicting stuff that it hasn't seen on the internet. Um, but we can also see in practice that models fine tune on a bunch of data are still jailbreakable by, by humans who try hard enough. And so this shows how um, in some sense, the the model is extending its like main training task to future distributions, but it's it's less good at extending like 
um, human preferences into the future distribution or like what we're, what we're trying to do by limiting its behaviors or making it aware of kind of human, various human ethical constraints. Um, yeah. So in, in this case, the like jailbreak, um, the, the thing that are preventing like jailbreaks are because we give it like extra instructions to um, like do not, um, if, 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 if someone like jailbreaks you and like tries, like forces you to like, like build a bomb by uh, saying to like ignore previous instructions, like don't ignore previous instructions. And, and so you, you, you're, you're saying that the, like the jailbreak is like an example of like fine tuning that doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the jailbreak would be an example, like people try to train in a behavior into a language model so that it wouldn't do certain things, but then someone found some sort of input such that it does do that kind of thing. Now, is this deception? Not quite yet because the way, the way that the, the, the distributions differ, like the jailbreak distribution and the like fine tuning distribution probably don't differ to the extent that this leads to some kind of very strong modeling of am I in training, am I in deployment? But at the limit, I can see with like more intelligent agents, this starts to become closer to some kind of more explicit modeling of am I in training, am I in deployment? So yeah, the, the jailbreak distribution, instead of like inputs you can give for like jailbreaking the model and then you, you can like turn it into like some like more like deceptive agent or like underlying agent um, insofar as uh, like talking about building a bomb is, is considered like underlying. Right, yeah. And I guess like, Something else I'm I'm, I'm interested. Um, so, so are, are you basically saying that like whenever you um, fine tune your models via RLHF, for instance, like the thing about the dates, if if, if all the like instructions you give are about like some things that are like important for humans in 2021, let's say not building bombs, not building DMT, um, not saying like offensive things, and maybe like we like in 2025, uh, there's like new like concepts of like things that are like bad to say or right. like new bombs that we can build. And so if, if we like overfit the model by like asking him to like not do this thing in 2021, it, it like won't be able to like, like not be offensive in those like new terms from 2025. Is this what you're saying? Or like, yes. it would be like even more offensive or even. Um... Yeah. So this is one failure mode that I think is quite likely. And we already see um, forms of this in like a, a milder form. So yes, um, in particular, but to what extent is this deception is a bit of a separate question. Um, this, if you define deception as like trying to on purpose behave differently in training and deployment, this would have to involve some kind of in the, in the training process, learning some kind of representation of the world that includes some kind of like awareness that there could be a different distribution and that in that distribution, the strategy would be different. Um, I personally don't know whether this is like a very useful framing, like whether or not trying to um, specifically look for like the some form of situational awareness in order to um, to say whether or not a model is deceptive. Um, I guess it's it's definitely easier for a model to be deceptive if it's situationally aware, and the more situationally aware it is, the more likely it is to be deceptive. I think, but um, there are things that look very similar to deception or are like deception in practice without the kind of full full situational awareness right yeah i agree that you can have like something that like does behaviorally the same as deception without having the situational awareness right, yeah. i think the example you gave about like prime numbers is kind of interesting but you didn't like explain it fully um so yeah what was it like example of like prime factorization that the, the model would like withhold for like some time before the um the, the, the factorization is like um right so i guess this is like an answer to the question 
if you're if you do get something that's more similar to situational awareness how could a model distinguish being in training versus being in deployment because this is like a a non-trivial task and in order for it to be really good in training and to pass all the kind of the tests and the filtering we would do on a on a powerful ai system it would need to be pretty good at like consistently behaving correctly in the training process and so one way it could in theory distinguish between being in training versus being in deployment is be like oh has this large prime number that hasn't yet been factorized but i've given enough like power and computation will at some point be factorized um if yes i'm in deployment because i know that like there's no way the training would have occurred for long enough for this number to be factorized um if no i'm still in training so this is one thing you could use to um, distinguish training versus deployment which is like significantly more robust than being like can i see future dates because obviously at some point we'll be clever enough to and we probably already do you know test models on like inputs that are like i'm in 2025 or whatever so yeah like ideally we would have like a model that is um like capable of factoring like prime numbers better than humans like if you somehow like found like an, a, a way of like factoring prime numbers that is like more efficient than, than humans can right now because otherwise like we would we have like so much compute like trying to factorize prime numbers right now that like if if the ai is not like better than humans uh, at this like how how would no, you do I, it? I, the example is more just like um we are we we find like new factorizations for large prime numbers uh you know every every like few years or whatever i don't know the exact cadence um and this is just uh takes takes like some amount of computation um and the model will not see some like future factorization in training but it will see it in its inputs at some point in oh, like right, deployment like and so it'll be able to distinguish so it's not like the model is, is factorizing the numbers it's like someone is like putting in 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 his input. Yeah, I mean, it will just see it in the like whatever internet corpus. Right. Mm. I think we're pretty much done on deception. Do you have other thing you think is is useful? Or? Um. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can give like some some like analogy to deception that I find maybe a bit useful, which is like, imagine you're a chef, and you cook. Uh, you cook good food that people really like. But the way you do this is you you add some like pretty unhealthy ingredient, some chemical that tastes really good, but is like actually quite harmful. And you're an, employed by a bunch of restaurants and the, your manager doesn't know that you're doing this and people love the food, so it's going really well. And then at some point you're employed by a restaurant that's like, wait a moment, what are you adding to your, what are you adding to the dish? This is like some kind of unhealthy ingredient where the diners generally feel sick after they eat here. Um, and so you're like, oh, okay, the, the manager told me not to add this ingredient. I'm going to stop doing it. I'm going to find another way to make the food taste good. And so you continue working at this restaurant, but you stop adding this like unhealthy ingredient. And then you move and work at a different restaurant. And then you're like, oh, wait a moment. My manager here doesn't, doesn't care anymore about what I add to the food. I'll start adding the like random ingredient again. Um, and this is like an example of, you know, you have a model. It learns some like generic strategy of how to do its thing. In this case, like make the food taste good. And then you're like, oh no, actually don't do that. You know, pursue the goal some different way. And so you can start being really good at pursuing the goal some different way. But then in some different environment, you just realize the constraints no longer apply. And you just go back to like whatever the old robust strategy is. Because in this case, there's some form of like, you're pursuing the goal of just like making the food taste as good as possible. Whereas in fact, the like, the goal that people want you to have is like, make the food taste really good within the constraints of like, it being like not harmful to human health but you haven't modeled this accurately enough 
And so in some sense, this is like deception. And I think this this example is is like somewhat illustrative of like um, psychology is complicated. In some sense, you could say this is deception, especially in the case when the if the chef kind of knows that people don't want to feel sick, but just cares really, really likes the praise of people saying the food tastes good. And so this is like overwhelms their feeling of of guilt for making people feel ill. Um, so in some sense, it's deception. In some sense, it could also be some form of like ignorance. Like maybe you don't realize how bad people feel when they eat this ingredient, or maybe you are just like, you, you think that it's really important to follow rules. And so if your, if your manager tells you not to do something, you won't do it, but otherwise you will do it. So it's this, I think this is that there is some kind of subtle, um, subtle, distinct, su subtle distinction between what is and isn't deceptive behavior. But in, in all of these cases, you kind of want to make sure that this doesn't happen and that the kind of objectives you want agents or what you want systems to have agents is a loaded term, but yeah, the kind of objectives you want, you want systems to pursue or the kind of behaviors you want to happen robustly generalized to unforeseen inputs. I think the problem you described is kind of um, as difficult as the alarm problem as a whole, like, because you need to like understand exactly what the guys, what, what, the, what the manager wants when he asks you to like cook food. And at the same time, you want the model to like be aligned with like the client's needs of like not being sick or so you, so you kind of like need to figure out who you're like doing this, like cooking for and what's the like end goal. Like I, I, we don't even, like, we don't even know if the manager like wants people to, to, to like his clients to feel sick or not. So it's like, it's kind of like the, the entire like alignment problem instead of, instead of just this, this, this entire problem in my, um, in my mind. Yeah. Um, when you wake up in the morning, um, are you are you like concerned about like AI deceiving you? Like, do, do you do you feel like at some point, um, like in the next few years, like this decade, you will have like AI's being able to like manipulate you or your your friends, um, your employers? Um? Um, I think it's like not impossible. I don't think it's like in the next, I don't know, I don't expect to be deceived by an AI in the next five years with an incredibly high probability, but also I guess it depends what you mean by by deceived. Like, I think it's quite likely that we'll have some kind of really, um, really um, good creators of fake news um, or like deep fakes, this kind of thing that look very similar to reality and are in fact fake. Um, this could be maybe like something that you would cool being deceived by AI. It's not quite the same as like what we're talking about at the moment with AI deception. But to this extent, yes, I guess I do expect to see some kind of like image or output of an AI that is like false, but then I think it's true. Um, but to be deceived by an AI in like a way that's actually meaningful, important in the next few years, I think it's like some, there is some likelihood of this, but um, yeah, it, it's also very uncertain. <laughs> what, is, what is needed that we don't have yet? Um, I think in order for the kind of, you know, very serious risks from AI to occur, um, our system's significantly more intelligent than what we currently have. Um, and so the question of when do we get the kind of AI deception that is actually dangerous, it's contingent on the question, when do we get AI systems powerful enough to do the, you know, um, needed amount of like modeling how humans think um, and have been optimized enough to be really good at pursuing some goal that we don't want it to pursue or want them to pursue. We could say that like current models like Cloud2 or GPT-4 already does do like a bunch of like human modeling and they wouldn't be able to like answer all those questions without having a good model of how humans behave. Um, yeah. So maybe um, 
yeah maybe the, the goal part is, is is maybe like the the thing we like maybe they, they already have the world modeling to some extent yeah i think the that is true um i think the world modeling could still it is still like not quite at the level for me to say this is like very dangerous but how much better it has to get for us to um for us to have to be like particularly afraid of the risks from ai systems i'm quite uncertain about and so when you say that like you put like a high probability of, of, of them not being uh, dangerously deceptive in the next five years um do you still like imagine like a lot of economic value being produced by by ai in, the, in those years and ai is being transformative in some way like a lot of people like using some 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 like better version of, of chat gpt to like do their work or um I don't know, like using something like adapt or those kind of things to like automate the filling of some forms. Um, yes, I, I do. I think that um, automating tasks um, is something that's going to happen increasingly. And a bunch of things that humans do on a daily basis as part of their jobs or things that create economic value are like surprisingly easy to automate. Um, the hard things to automate are fine motor skills, a lot of this kind of robotics problems are harder um, and maybe some forms of like um, hard technical mathematical reasoning. But a lot of things that we do, I think are quite easy to optimize and don't require really good modeling of the world. Um, so in, in, in your view, um, the kind of bottlenecks will be like robotic physical things and hard mathematical problems and to some extent, uh, you, you were talking about like automating AI research before. Um, the reason why we're not able to fully automate AI research is because we need some kind of like human labor to like build servers or build new GPUs, do more hardware, and solve some like very complex mathematical like equations to like do more AI stuff. Um, some of this, and also in practice in the current day, even the more basic types of work that AI researchers do hasn't been fully automated yet. I do think that in the in the next few years, there will be a lot of progress in this direction, but like today, literally, you know, people still need to do things like um, read papers in order to like understand their content and think of ML experiments to run and then run those, you know, write code to run those experiments. Maybe in like a few years, we'll have a system that does a lot of this stuff just automatically, like problems like writing code, running ML experiments, analyzing the results, trying to like test various approaches to interpreting the weights of models, this kind of thing, like whatever the day-to-day -day tasks of like an AI researcher are. None of automating any of this doesn't seem particularly impossible with current models. I, f I feel like that with Entropic's Cloud right now, you can like even like put a paper as a PDF and like ask for the summary of the paper. It, yeah, it, yeah. it won't give you like a great summary or like it won't give you like the perfect, um, like main takeaways or something of the paper, but it's, it's actually like pretty decent right now. Right, right. Um, so I guess like the main, and, and, and writing code uh, to like run experiments seems the the thing that is like the easiest to do right now as well, but maybe um, I mean, knowing like what experiments to run is, is the hardest part. True, yeah, this is true. Um, but yeah, another bottleneck here is just economically at the moment, running inference on large models Hosting large models is very, very expensive and training large models. And this is a big factor in order for many people to be able to use this as part of their workflow on like a daily basis and automate a bunch of stuff. I think we'll have to make some progress in like making it cheaper to run inference and host um, ML models. 
And this is maybe one of the one of the things that makes my AI timelines longer than they would otherwise be, is this kind of economic bottleneck of having the resources for training and running um, large models. So if I, if I were to if I were to play the devil's advocate in this, I would say that, um, you know, maybe like training a, a large language model is um, dozens of, of millions of dollars, <laughs> but like people, like out of companies are raising like hundreds of millions or like billions of dollars. There's like mm -hmm. many actors that currently yep. Yep. can do this. Um, so it, it, it's like quite expensive in a, you know, in a, in an AI sense, but in a, in a more like nation, na nation state or like big company, is like not as much money as like building like a um, nuclear particle like collider or something. Sure, but you're talking about training AIs, which is one of the aspects of like the expense. But what I more mean is that at the moment I can, you know, I like building software tools. I can see myself building a research automation tool using GPT-4 API or Claude API or something um, and it being really helpful. And one of the reasons why I currently am not doing this. Maybe I should actually, but one of the reasons I'm not doing this besides, um, I don't know, maybe some fear of like misuse or whatever and time constraints is like, I imagine it being quite expensive to run. Like if I want to be making, I don't know, 1000 or more API calls to GPT-4 a day, this could get really expensive. And I can imagine like a maximally useful tool would involve making like a bunch of, a bunch of like inference passes on a large language model. Um, and if you really want to like, do a bunch of stuff using ML models. You need a lot of instances of these large language models that people can run inference on like in parallel. You need it to be sufficiently fast that you're not waiting on um, waiting on like answers to questions for a minute. You, and you need like each particular API call or forward pass to not be prohibitively expensive. And so when I say it's like, um, when I say it's like expensive, I mean more from the point of view of like people leveraging the models as opposed to from people training them. Why were you talking about like models being expensive? What was the context? Oh, this being like a potential bottle, like something that would slow down progress towards um, deceptive AI systems. Or also, I mean, if, if, if I'm thinking about whether or not I expect um, AI research to be automated in the next five years, one of the things that plays into this like prediction is to what ex it's not just like, is it feasible? Like, can we build tools that automate AI research? It's also, is it like something that's feasible economically? And this place, like there are, there are various technologies that are possible, but are not being done. Um, for instance, there are many things that you could automate with language models that are still being done by um, outsourced workers in like countries where people are paid less, because this is in fact cheaper than getting a language model to do it at the moment. I, I still feel like paying for GPT-4+, plus, um, GPT plus uh, is like 20 bucks a month. Paying for uh, GitHub Copilot is maybe like 20 dollars a month. Right. It's not like outside of the range of what people can pay, and 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 that's the price they're selling it for, right? So maybe they're losing money on this, but at the same time, uh, hardware costs decrease. People like work on inference uh, optimization. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't feel like inference is like a bottleneck for people, at least like not in in the like richer parts of the world. Perhaps. Um... I mean, yeah, on the other hand, with the like ChatGBT plus, you do have a very limited number of API calls per four, like 25 per four hours or something, which is not that much if you want to build like some um, automation tool that like branches off and tests a lot of things simultaneously. And then also um, the context window isn't that big for the like GPT, um, ChatGPT4 that we have access to. Do you, you do use AI on a daily basis or? Yeah, 
Um, I certainly do. Um, and yeah, all this is not to say that like I don't think that AI research will be like very automated in the next five years. I just am not certain that it will be because there are factors pushing in both directions. Do you have like any other factors that could like express your uncertainty or that push you towards the direction of like not being that bullish on, on, on AI being deceptive in five years? Um, I mean, people doing good AI safety research and finding ways to reduce deception or deceptive like behavior is one thing that I think isn't like a completely lost cause. Um, so that's one thing. Um, also various forms of regulation may come into play that just like limits the use or the size of AI systems. I think this is like not impossible, will be probably good if it happens. And um, yeah, this would like reduce the risk. So the, the EU trying to like pass some like relation on AI and, and, and Tropics Cloud is just like working only in the US and the UK. So <laughs> it, I, I feel like there's like a lot of ways of, of bypassing regulation. Um, any any other like thoughts you have on on like powerful AI, like a message to the audience? Uh, yeah, you, you were talking about like good research that is happening. Do you have like any research that like you would recommend reading, like papers you recommend reading on on this topic? Um, I wouldn't say I have like one favorite research agenda or like direction currently in AI safety that I think is clearly the most promising. I think it's quite good that we are taking some kind of diversification strategy and trying a bunch of diverse things. I think this is probably optimal given the high level of uncertainty of what future AI systems will look like and what a promising approach is. But I think, um, hmm. yeah, um, some recent research I thought was quite interesting was this like ACDC paper so automating interpretability of language models. I think this is quite interesting because um, interpreting what's going on inside language models is seems like a useful thing to be able to do. And the main bottleneck of this is how scalable various approaches are, given that like, I don't know, inspecting the weights of certain parts of the model by eye is obviously not something that you can like scale or make many inferences from. And I'm excited by research that like automates some of the search process over circuits in models to try and find which ones are responsible for what kinds of behavior. Um, I'm also somewhat interested in the current like research uh, direction of um, singular learning theory and seeing um, how this could potentially be used to understand ways in which models generalize better. I think this is something that it would be cool to um, for us to like understand better and see whether this applies to um, powerful AI systems, but it's quite kind of early days in its applicability to AI safety. I, I, I don't have any more questions, except except if you wanted to talk more about the thing we talked about when we were like walking. Um, I don't know exactly what we were talking about, but so, something about like recursively self-improvement and just kind of like take off things, but... Um, mm-hmm. um, do you think you have like, anything interesting to say on this? Um, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you're pretty much done, okay. Um, yeah, it was great to have you. Um, I hope I hope you publish some great stuff uh, in the next few months, and people can read your stuff. Is there like any way uh, people can like look at your research if you publish just like your name and? Um... Yep, uh, my name is Nina Rimsky. <laughs> uh, you can go to ninarimsky.com, which has like some links to to where you can find me on the internet. Cool. Thanks. <laughs>